We're doing a six-week teaching series looking at God the Father because we think that arguably a more important question than uh, does God exist is the question, what's God like? What's God like? And um, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I went kayaking with, with Jeff Harmer. I say kayaking. We put the kayak on my car. We took it down to the beach, and we stood and watched the waves for 20 minutes, um, weighing up if we wanted to die because the waves were looking particularly angry. Seaford Beach does get angry, doesn't it? The, the, the waves are pretty impressive. So we stood there for 20 minutes. Jeff had his wetsuit on. I had my, my shoes on that stopped me kind of walking like this on the stones. kind of makes me feel very, you know, masculine. And, uh, and after 20 minutes of staring at the waves, we psyched ourselves up and put the kayak back on the car and went somewhere else where it's calmer. And uh, I was thinking about that occasion and just felt actually as a result of that. Um, many of us treat church and God a little bit like that. Uh, we like to turn up for church, put our church face on, get our game face on. Uh, we like to do religion. Uh, we like to inquire and ask questions. And we like to go through the motions sometimes. Or we don't like to. We can fall in the trap of going through the motions sometimes. And I just want to offer you an invitation from God um, to come and know him personally. And if you know him already, to know him even more deeply and intimately. One of the main drivers for wanting to take six weeks to just look at the Father is to draw us deeper into intimacy and friendship with God. To not just know about God, but to, to know him personally and see him at work in our lives. Um, the, the whole reason we come isn't just to stare at the waves. It's to get out on the adventure that is relationship with God. Um, having, having said that, I feel like I should just offer my commiserations to Scotland um, for yesterday's display against South Africa. I noticed that Robert and Matt are set as far, sat as far apart from each other as possible. Um, that's probably good. So we're sorry, Scotland. Um, well done, South Africa. And we won't mention the other game. Um, so, John 5, that's where we're going. And um, Jesus in John's Gospel, he talks about God a lot, as you'd expect. But what, you, what I notice is that in John's Gospel, Jesus uses the personal pronoun, my father, more than a hundred times to describe God. In that one Gospel alone, he's constantly referring to God as father, my father, my father, my father. Jesus, for Jesus, he wasn't content to just teach us about God as God, this three-letter word that might bounce around in our heads. No, he introduced and revealed God as Father in a way that no one else had ever done. Um, and actually, as Father, God is wanting to know us, and he doesn't want us to keep him at arm's length. He wants to get personal with us. So that's kind of part of who we're speaking to and what we're, we're doing this morning. But I also want to speak to those of us who are dads, because as dads, uh, we have the rem both the remarkable privilege and the remarkable responsibility of being a father and sharing the same name as God the Father uh, and being a representative of Father, God the Father, to the people around us. God is preeminently and eternally Father. We got the name from Him. He didn't get it from us, so to speak. And as such, we have a responsibility and privilege, as I said, to be a father in a way that reflects the Father. You see, everyone... Uh, uh, Everyone in church and hopefully everyone in time at some point or another will hear the words that, that Jesus gave us to, in talking about prayer, our Father. And from time to time, people will pray the prayer, our Father in heaven. And what those words mean to us, what it means to you in your bones, is conditioned very much by what a Father has been. You approach the Father based on what a Father has been. And you have ideas about the Father based on what a Father has been to you and how a Father has modeled the Father to you. See, a father, who, a father who just sits and stares, a father who um, is working all the time, 
down the office all the time, a father who deserts the family, a father who's, who's there in body but absent in affection and emotion, he is speaking about fatherhood and he is speaking about the father. Uh, he can't help it. You can't turn it off. It's like a constantly running tap communicating about God the father. But so is a father who teaches his son to kick a ball or ride a bike or a father who listens to his daughter as she explains why Peter Rabbit shouldn't have disobeyed, a father who kisses their mum on the lips, a father who reads to the family for hours, a father who's there, present with affection and emotion and energy and time, he's also speaking about fatherhood and the father. And that's the remarkable kind of responsibility and privilege that we find ourselves in. So that's why we're we're doing this and where we're going. Um, As we get into that, let me just read this quote for us from uh, Mike Reeves, talking about the father. Uh, He says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. All of that said, all of that said and breathed, we're going to read from John chapter 5 together, verses 1 to 20 should appear behind me as well. Here we go. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, And knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps down before me. So popular legend about this pool was that from time to time, um, an angel, people believed, an angel would stir up the waters and whoever made it down to the water first would be healed. So that's what the man is referring to when he says that. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, there was, now that, was, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Okay, so the question that we're asking of today's passage is, what does it reveal about 
the character and personality of God the Father? What does it reveal of the personality of God the Father? And to do that, we're going to be focusing on just one verse. If we put this one up, it's verse 17, where Jesus says these words, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And we're going to split that one verse into two. So Jesus says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And we're going to do it the reverse way around. So we're going to start just by looking at those last three words, and I am working, and then we'll move on to the front half in a bit. Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working. And the reason that Jesus uses the word uh, work here is because of the, the context of the passage is to do with the Sabbath. See, in their society, the religious law was on the Sabbath, the seventh day, you don't do any work. And so the authorities thought carrying a mat constitutes work, and in Jesus' case, healing a man constitutes work, so they got angry at him for that. Okay, so that's why Jesus uses the word work. My father is working until now, and I am working. So we're going to look at the son who imitates the father. Just put up the next slide for us, because in verse 19, Jesus said this, Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus imitates his father intentionally. Now, kids imitate their parents, don't they? You know this. They imitate you uh, accidentally and intentionally. They can't help it. They just end up copying your mannerisms. And the amount of times your, your wife has perhaps said to you, oh, you're a lot like your dad. <laughs> you don't want to hear those words. Or, oh, stop acting like your mother. Or, she gets that from you. That's a classic, isn't it? She gets that from you. In our family, whenever someone does something slightly inappropriate or socially awkward or rude, the expression is used, not from my side of the family. I'm not sure if Amy got anything from her mum's side of the family because she's forever saying, doesn't come from my side. I never taught them that. I, I never taught them that. But we do. We pick up things intentionally and accidentally. We can't help it. The kids can't help us. What they do. Um, last winter, um, I, went into the, I went into the lounge and Amy was looking into the garden, shaking her head in exasperation, which is a common sight in our family. But she was shaking her head like this. And out in the, out in the garden, uh, in the rain, in the winter was Riley with his shirt off bouncing on the trampoline. <laughs> I said, what is he doing? And she said, he's copying you. So, so I'm not sure why he did that because that's not something I make a habit of doing. But he's imitating me accidentally and inappropriately got it wrong because that's an inappropriate way to behave. As I mentioned before, Zach, whenever he needs the toilet at the moment, he just, uh, he just drops his trousers wherever he is. It doesn't matter what he's doing, uh, who's around. We were in Eastbourne High Street the other day. He thinks, I need the toilet. Clothes come off needs the toilet. I don't know where he gets that from. He definitely doesn't get it from me. I'm just saying. Put that one out there. But kids imitate their parents accidentally and intentionally. Jesus is saying, whatever my father does, that's what I'm doing. And the son, Jesus, is the undiluted, non-watered-down version of the father. So if ever we want to see what's the father like, we look at what the son is doing. What's the father like or what's the son doing? Because he's imitating him. My next question, though, to this is, well, how does the son know what his father's doing? And in verse 20, Jesus answers it for us. It's, he says this, the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. The father loves the son and shows him all that he's doing. The father is a communicative dad. He speaks. We don't know how he shows him, but the son, Jesus says, no, he speaks to me all the time. So if we're looking at this question, that what's the father like? The first thing we can say is this, that he is a generous communicator. He withholds nothing back. You see this at Jesus' baptism, where, the, where the, the heavens open and the father booms, this is my son. I am nuts about him. That's what it says in the original Greek language. This is my son. I'm nuts about him. He's a father who speaks verbally affirming of his son. 
And in this passage, he says, well, I'm copying what my father's doing. So the father communicates verbally and through action, and the son imitates. Okay? Words spoken or withheld have a huge impact on people, don't they? Fathers who encourage or withhold encouragement from their children make a huge impression and impact on that child's life. The amount of people, mostly men that I speak to, who say they can't really remember their dad ever saying, I love you. Oh, no, that's not true. I can remember him saying it. 1975, (laughs) Christmas Day, I love you, he said to me. For so many of us, so often, that's the case. I can't remember my dad encouraging me or, or saying I love you or speaking well of me in public. It's just not something that I'm familiar with. And those kind of things make a big impression on us, not just who we are, but how we think about God. Because we then project, oh, since a father's like that, the father's like that. Well, actually, the father is a generous communicator. He doesn't withhold good things from his son. He shows him as much as he can at all times. And so let's just walk through the, the story of Jesus then. Given that he's imi- the story that we've read here, given that he's imitating his father, let's see how he behaves. Um, so Jesus, firstly, he goes to the pool of Bethesda. He doesn't need to go there. He's not sick himself. But he goes to the place in Jerusalem where he knows a lot of sick, needy people are going to be. Not for himself, not to do market research and say, yes, I've seen them. No, but for, for the purposes of imitating his father. His father goes to the places of need. In this place, Jesus sees a whole crowd of people, but he sees an individual as well. He singles individuals out in the crowd, and so he goes up to a man, uh, and having noticed this man, thinking, oh, he looks like he's been here for a while, and he's not looking like he's trying to get into the pool. He's observing what's the father doing, perhaps, and goes and speaks to this man. What I love then is Jesus, speaking to this man, treats him with an enormous amount of dignity. He can see that something's wrong with him. But he doesn't just say to him, get up and walk. He asks him a question. He doesn't even just speak to him. He asks him a question. Do you want to be healed? He's inquiring something about, he's God. He would know the answer to this question. Of course I want to be healed. I've been here for 38 years. I've been unwell. I come here often. You can see that. But Jesus speaks to him with dignity and respect, asks him a question. Then Jesus heals him without condition. He doesn't say, now, if you go do this, and if you stop doing this, I will make you better. No, he heals him unconditionally. And then, you see, Jesus meets the man in, in the temple courts. Later on, we don't know how long after the, the healing, he sees him there. And he speaks some hard, truthful words to him. I don't know if you spotted it when I read it. But he says to the man, go now and don't sin or something worse will happen to you. And the commentators agree on this, that Jesus is implying the man's sickness was related to his sin. The man's sickness was related to his sin. So Jesus says, don't sin anymore, and some, otherwise something worse will happen to you. Now, we need to pause there, because Jesus is not saying that all sickness or all disability is, is linked to sin. Of course he's not. And actually, a few chapters later, Jesus explicitly says that. You might remember the story. They come across a man who's been born blind, and his disciples say, who sinned, him or his parents, that he's blind? And Jesus says, that's not how it works. You you misunderstand. So he's not saying that, but he is saying it here. He's speaking hard words to this man. He's not afraid of being truthful and blunt. 
So he speaks truthfully to the man. And actually, this man is not just a sinner, but he's also a snitch. <laughs> you notice that? He knows that the authorities are kind of out to get the man that heals him. So what does he do as soon as he learns who Jesus is? He goes and tells the authorities, that's the guy you want. You think, well, that's gratitude for you. But Jesus isn't afraid, not just of speaking truthfully, but he's not afraid of saying something that's going to potentially, or doing something that's going to potentially offend someone, or in this case, offend religious people. Uh, God loves offending religious people. I don't know if you've noticed that when you read this book. Religious people seem to be number one on his hit list, the people that he wants to offend. It's people who think they can earn and impress God's merit, or earn God's merit and impress him. But Jesus isn't afraid of offending. What's interesting as well is that this scene in John's Gospel um, is a turning point in the whole Gospel. It is, uh, up until this point, no one's been persecuting Jesus. No one's been trying to kill him. From this point, people are trying to kill him. So it all starts here. And it starts because Jesus isn't afraid of causing offense. So since Jesus is like that, we can then take it a step further because he's imitating his father. And we can say this about God, that God the Father visits the sick and doesn't remain at a distance. He takes initiative. He sees individuals in a crowd. He speaks lovingly. He heals without condition. He speaks truthfully. He cares about us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And he isn't afraid of causing offense. Now, this is really good news. This is what the Father is like. I'm not making it up. Okay, I've just told you. This is, Jesus says, I'm imitating my Father. Jesus then behaves like this. He's not, this is what God the Father is like. Regardless of what a Father has been to you, this is what the Father is like. We need to have our thinking rewired about who God is. He's not a strict, stern, arm's length, stay away from me kind of father. He's not Victorian. He's not kind of austere English. He's not. Neither is he lightweight and just kind of happy-go-lucky and just, oh, there, there, nothing matters. It's all, no, he speaks truthfully as well. This is what the father is like. This is really good news. And this is the challenge for us as fathers as well. Um, can our children say that about us? Are they able to say that about us? So, we've looked at the son who imitates the father. Let's go back to verse 17. Next slide. Um, Jesus, my father is working till now and I'm working. But let's look at the front half now. My father is working. My father is working. Jesus reveals to us a father who is active and involved. Who is active and involved. He's not idle. He's not lazy. And he's not distant. Uh, he doesn't need to be coerced into activity. We have this thing, where it's quite normal, I suppose, but Zach wakes me up often at 5.30, quarter to 6, whatever time it is, and he'll tug on me and say, come on, Dad, it is morning. It's time to get going. Let's go play. Let's go watch CBeebies. And I think as much as CBeebies is appealing, right now the most appealing thing is the bed, so go away. Um, Zach has to coerce me into activity. And sometimes we can think that God is like that. Please, God, just be nice for once. Just get involved for once. Just do something. We can think that that's how God is. We have to coerce him. Jesus says, now my father's working until now. Past, present, and by implication, future. That's what the father is like. He's not an idle dad. And actually, Jesus, in, in, in behaving as he does, he doesn't say to the people, shh, don't tell God. Get up and walk. He's not, don't tell your dad. Here's 20 quid for petrol. Don't tell your dad that I did that. He's not doing that. He's saying, I'm doing this because my dad wants me to. 
because my dad, the father, is active and involved in our lives. And I see this is the, the doctrine of God's providence and sovereignty, that he's at work and involved in everything. So Psalm 66 reveals that God is actively involved in the governments of the, the world and rulers of the earth exist because of him. And Romans 8.28, one of our faves, <laughs> says that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love, who love him and have been called according to his purposes. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that the Father causes the rain to fall causes the rain to fall it's not like God winds up the universe and just lets it tick away no he is actively involved in the planet and the runnings of things Jesus says the father causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust alike although we might say mainly on the mainly on the just because the unjust steal the just's umbrella Um, but the father is active and involved he hasn't walked out and I'm sorry about that Um, And what Jesus is doing in this story is you get the impression he is watching. He turns up at the pool and he's looking to see what his father's doing. He's looking for the father's fingerprints. Now as Christians, we often use the language of, I'm looking for an open door. I'm just going to push on this door. Just going to kick this door and hope that something opens. And if it opens, I'll conclude, maybe God wants me to get that job or, or go to that place or do this. We use the language of open doors. What we are also saying is I'm looking for the fingerprints of God I'm looking to see what my father's doing because he is at work he is active I'm just not always sure what he's doing and I'm looking to see what he's doing Uh, so sometimes when when we pray for people or when we're doing ministry times we encourage you pray for someone and keep your eyes open so you can see what's God doing in your life when you when you're kind of just walking through the Christian life you're looking to see what God's doing um we st- we've started a, a pub. Uh, no, we haven't started a pub. That would be fun. We've started a life group in a pub. That's step one. Next step is pub and then world domination. That's what we're going to do. We've started a life group in a pub and I've done it a couple of weeks. And it was really interesting. The first week we got there, um, we got chatting to the locals, got to tell them that we're from a church, got to invite them to church. They said they were going to come, but haven't yet. That's okay. Um, We got to invite them to church. They seemed very keen. Um, We got bought drinks. Um, We thought, the Father is working, and we're getting free drinks. This is good. Um, So I I just had a shandy, because I thought that's appropriate. The Father's working. Don't want to get drunk. I don't want a pint. I'll have a shandy, please, because the Father's working. He's paying. (laughs) And last week, we were there again, and just chatting to the regulars, and one one woman opens up and shares her life story, and uh, it's just really quite moving. And what we as a, a group are encouraged by is the Father seems to be doing something. He seems to be at work. Well, he's always at work, but we're spotting his fingerprints in this situation. Now, I don't know if many of you made it to the um, the hunger prayer evenings that we had a couple of weeks ago. We had Wendy down from Bedford, uh, and she was just sharing about her. She was leading a time of ministry and sharing her experience of God the Father. And I've heard her say on other occasions that when she's out and about in her town, if she sees the same stranger or same person she doesn't know two or three times in a day, she'll conclude to herself, well, maybe the Father wants me to speak to them because the Father's at work. So she'll kind of just go up and chat and just get to know them and hopefully share God's, God's love with them in some, in some way. What she's doing is she's living with her eyes open, thinking, well, I know my Father's always active. I know he's not idle. I don't want to live with my eyes open to what he's doing. As Christians, we get to live like mini Sherlock Holmeses, don't we? Detectives, what's the Father doing? On the basis that he's at work, 
He's not asleep. So what's he doing? Looking for clues. You said that. You went there. You did this. That's not being super spiritual. That's not being too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, is it? It's going, no, my father's active. What's he doing? So I'd encourage us to live like that. What's the father doing? How can I get involved? Now, a word of caution, because as much fun as it is to look at circumstances and try to work out what the father's doing, it's not always the most accurate way of working out what God's doing, is it? This man had been sick for 38 years. For 38 years, he'd been disabled. For 38 years, unable to walk. For 38 years, dependent on the kindness of strangers and family and friends to help him on most days, I presume, get to this pool. And in that 38-year period, 38 year period, the father was active. The father was working, for sure. But whatever he was doing, he wasn't healing this man. And so for that man, in that 38-year period, for him to look at the circumstances of his life, he would have concluded, no doubt, God hates me, God's against me, or God's idle, God's lazy, God's forgotten, God's left. He's walked out. Jesus says, no, he's not like that. But looking at the circumstances of our lives, depending on what we're going through, depending on whether things are good or bad, we can sometimes find it very hard to work out what God's doing, particularly, particularly when, like this man, you're walking through and living in a prolonged period of difficulty and heartache or sickness, perhaps. I don't know if you will have often seen at times the, uh, what happens to people when they fall in love and they become infatuated with someone else. I've, it happens, doesn't it? We observe it. Trying to give people who are infatuated and in love any kind of reasonable advice is like speaking to, I don't know, a brick wall. You just can't get through because they're so consumed with the madness of love that they can't hear anything you're saying. There was a, there was a guy in, who was on Impact a few years ago in the church, and he asked me, should I, you know, go out with this girl. I said, no, don't do that. She's in your youth group. That's not appropriate. Um, you shouldn't kind of see each other romantically for the year. Try to hold off. And so it ignored my advice. And what, what, 10 years later, they've been married and they've got three kids and he plays guitar up here. But <laughs> there we go. Hey, John. And when you're trying to give advice to people who are in love like that, it's very hard for them to hear. In the same way, trying to spot and see what the Father's doing in your life when you're overwhelmed with difficulty and pain, can be very hard, can be very hard. We all know people, don't we, who we have prayed for for a long time that God would heal them, and for whatever reason, he hasn't done. And for individuals in situations like that, um, I know of one friend who has concluded, God, whatever he is, is not a loving father, because if he was a loving father, he would have healed me. I have a lot of sympathy for that view. Who knows? If I was going through what he was or what my friends do, I would, my, all, in all likelihood, come to the same conclusion. I've got all sympathy for the points of view like that. But Jesus tells us that God is a Father who's active and involved. So whatever he's doing, he's not distant. He's not idle. He hasn't left us. And so I can't leave that option open to me, if you like. See, there's two ways of trying to work out who God is and what's God like. You either do it by looking at the world and concluding this is what God's like because of the world. So that's how, that's how most pagan gods got created, wasn't it? 
um, the God of the sea and the God of the sun. And basically they'd look at the circum- and, uh, circumstances of the world and try to work out the personality of the God based on the sun and the waves. And because those things are so changeable, these gods are also so changeable and tricksy and turbulent. And who knows if they're going to be in a good mood or a bad mood. So that's one way of trying to work out what God's like. The other way is to begin with the sure and stable revelation of the Father in the Son. If we try to say anything intelligent about God, we have to start with the revelation of how, who Jesus reveals God to be he, in this book, as he said here. What we can't do is go, thanks for the advice about what you're like, God. However, life has taught me you're not like that. You're more like this. You can do that, but that's not the Christian God. In fact, you can't say anything certain about God if that's the way you're going to deduce ideas about him. The Father is not idle. He's not inactive. He hasn't walked out on us. A friend of mine was um, many years ago in hospital. Uh, her son was ill, and um, she had to be in hospital for a number of weeks. And during those weeks, um, no one from the church went to visit her. And very few people got in touch to see how she was. She said that it was an incredibly lonely period in her life where she just felt abandoned by people. And it was in the middle of that loneliness that she was crying out to God and just venting. And she felt him cut across the loneliness and speak deep into her gut and say to her very clearly, I will never leave you. And she said hearing those words from her father made all the difference to her circumstance. Knowing what God the Father's like doesn't always change our circumstances, but it does change our perspective on our circumstances and gives us the strength that we need to endure through difficulty. And Jesus' message to this man who had been ill for 38 years was, he's never been idle. He's never been inactive. The Father has not abandoned you. He has not left. You see, we, we have a, a sickness as human beings. We have a... a a father hunger in us, a God sickness. We're longing for, not just a father, we're longing to be fathered by the father. But life circumstances, the fallenness of humanity, how difficult and chaotic life under the sun is, makes it very hard for us to know him as he actually is. And actually, our father hunger is made worse by the fact that fathers, by and large, socially speaking, don't set a very good example of what the father's like. Um, So in some parts of the Western world now, you are born into a family. You are just as likely to be born into a household where there is a dad as to be born into a household where there isn't a dad. In some parts of the West, it's 50-50. You never know. Maybe my dad will be at home. Maybe he won't. I've got a 50-50 chance. As a result, you can conclude fatherhood is broken. It's broken. So what do we do with that? Don't call God Father. It's offensive. There could be 50% of the room who've never known a good father. It's offensive to call God Father. Stop it. Let's change it. Let's stop addressing God as Father. Okay, fine. Let's call him Lord. Let's call him Creator. Well, actually, if we, if, if, since God wants to be personal with us, why don't we call God Mother? Why not? Our Mother in heaven, hallowed be your name. That kind of works. We, mothers have, have got a better social record of being, you know, maternal and being faithful and being at home and being around. Let's call God mother. We could do that. We could. Many churches have done that. Not many, some. (laughs) And many people argue that that's what we ought to do. We ought to ditch the male pronouns for God. That's embarrassing and offensive. But we can't do that. You see, just because a cup is broken 
drinking out of a cup and it leaks. You don't therefore conclude that all, all cups are rubbish. Let's all go back to drinking from puddles. You thirsty? Go find a puddle. No, we don't do that. We recognize this cup's broken, but there is a cup that isn't broken. I'll go find that one. Our fathers are always going to be broken. They are broken, fallen human beings. We, all of us are. We'll fail. We'll badly represent God. At times we'll get it right, at times we won't. And I have to tell my children, I always, I think I've said this before, you have two dads, a sinful one and a perfect one. Where I imitate the perfect one, great. Learn from me. Where I get it wrong, just ditch my example and go to the father. He's perfect. And that's what we need to do. Rather than going, let's call God mother, go, no, let's call God father and let's work out who the father is. We need a cure for our sickness, our father hunger, and it won't be met, it won't be healed by any other way other than the father God himself. You know when you move country and you go from one culture to another culture, you have to spend a long time learning the particular kind of unusual idiosyncrasies of this society. Oh, in this country we cheer for that rugby team even though they're not very good. Okay, I will learn that that's how we behave in this society. Actually, it's not just a case of switching from one culture to another, is it? Because we've got a sickness. It's more like going for radiotherapy when you've got a tumor that needs to be killed. Uh, you go for a period of days, and each day they give you a short burst of radiotherapy. They can't give you too much because too much radiation would do you a lot of harm. So they give you a short burst, and it shrinks the tumor a little bit. And you come back the next day, they give you a short burst, shrinks the tumor a little bit. You come back the next day. It's the same with God the Father. We come to God with our, our father hunger tumor. And on any given Sunday, someone might say, the Father is like this. And it might really go, oh, no, I can't handle that. No, he's not like that. My experience of fathers has taught me otherwise. We say, okay, that's fine. Come back next week, <laughs> and we'll see if we can handle a little bit more of what the Father's like. The Father's like this. No, he's not. I can't handle that. And actually, throughout our Christian life, that's what happens. The Father's like this. No, I don't like it. The Father's like, okay. The Father's like this. <laughs> and then after 10 years, the tumor, the father hunger has been shrunk enough that we can go, oh, Abba, Father, I see you as you actually are now. The clouds have parted. My sickness has been healed in part enough to understand that. And so that's what we do when we come. We come to the Father. And to help us with that, uh, we want to do a couple of things. We're going to end by reciting that list together of what the Father's like revealed in John 5. You should have some cards on your seat. But also, um, working on this idea of having to come every day to the Father. We, um, throughout this teaching series, we're doing daily devotionals on the Father from John's Gospel. We're a week into it. There's some pieces of paper at the back for those of you who prefer physical paper to online things. Um, and for those of you who prefer carrier pigeons, we can't help. But there is paper at the back, and we're going to every day come to God the Father through the mouth of Jesus and see what he's got to tell us about God and hopefully over time we get to know God as he actually is. And so there's paper at the back and there'll be things on our Facebook page every day as well. But as we come to a time of responding to what the Father wants to do, we're going to start by reading. Oh, it's different. Okay, it's different from there. and on. That's great. Okay, let's read off there and you can take that because I haven't got one in front. Oh, no, I have got one in front of me. Here we go. <coughs> Here we go. We'll read off our cards. And um, you'll notice that it says, speaks truthfully twice. That, that isn't a mistake. It's because we wanted to really enforce it. <laughs> so we're going to read, the Father who works. And we'll say, the Father is, and then we'll read it out. Okay, you ready? The Father is generous with his communication. He visits the sick. He doesn't remain at a distance. 
He takes initiative. He sees individuals in a crowd. He speaks lovingly. He is not an accuser. He heals without condition. He speaks truthfully. He cares about us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He isn't afraid of offending. He is active. He is involved. He isn't idle. He isn't distant. 